All right. Good morning, church. I hope everybody's doing well this morning. What a, I'm, what a beautiful morning. Did you guys see the trees and the frost and the sunrise? I don't know if you guys caught the sunrise. It kind of went from pink to purple. You're not, yeah. Maybe I was, I was up early. So, uh, but what a beautiful morning for uh, creation and the evidence of our creator. Um, yeah, I know my wife does not like the cold. Um, that's just how she's made. I love it. Um, but you can't deny when you go outside that there's something bigger than us. Amen. So, so keep that in mind. If you're complaining about the cold, just feel guilty. I don't know, but, uh, this morning, you guys, I am so excited to be here and teach again. If you haven't met me before, my name is Ryan Graydon. I'm a member of Stonebridge here and, uh, and I love getting up and having the opportunity to, to, uh, teach God's word. Um, and I want you guys to know this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to touch on four disciplines that I believe that God is going to put into this passage that I think we need to pay attention to. And by no means, you guys, I don't want you to think I am mastered in these disciplines. I am, I am right alongside you struggling in these disciplines. But I, I really feel that as I read this passage and prepared to preach this morning, that God was, was kind of challenging me to say, hey, this has got to be important. And this has got to be something that we take seriously as we pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you're thinking, I hope you're thinking, or taking notes or something, um, we're going to be covering that in just a second. But I want to start out with a quote um, that I actually used in a sermon a few years ago preaching here. But I want to say it again because it, it certainly applies to this morning. And the quote comes from a Christian author named Todd Wilson, and he wrote this this. Um, article on uh, the Desiring God website, John Piper's uh, ministry. And when I read it, it really struck deep with the reality of, of me personally, as well as our culture. And it says this, perhaps the greatest threat to the church's witness is one of its own making. It's an image problem. You see, many outside the church view Christians as unchristian in their attitudes and actions, they, they see them as bigoted. They see them as homophobic, hypocritical, materialistic, judgmental, self-serving, and overly political. The evangelical church's image problem doesn't bode well for its future. In fact, the data suggests that evangelical Christianity is actually declining in North America. What you and I believe is declining. Despite the church's best efforts to appeal to the disillusioned or people who don't know Jesus, we continue to see the alarming trends. Droves of people, especially from younger generations, the next generation of the church, are leaving the church and don't plan to return. And this has driven even some to predict the end of evangelicalism. Now, this is what I want you to hear. The reasons for this discouraging state of affairs are complex, and they're certainly not cookie cutter. But we know one thing is for certain. When Christians are confused about it, what it means to be real, the spiritual decline of the church will follow. Let me read that again and think about this. When Christians are confused about what it means to be real, in their faith, the spiritual decline of the church will follow. You guys, that last sentence has haunted me for the past few years. And truthfully, it spurred me personally 
in my desire to know Jesus and have a relationship with him that's real. When I was a teenager, I was part of a youth group of our church. My, my folks were founding members of uh, the Ephraim Church in Story City. That's where I grew up. And after a few years of starting that church, we finally had enough students in the junior high and high school age to start a youth group or have a need for a youth group. It wasn't a paying position, so we needed a volunteer. And one of the guys who was actually an older, distant cousin of mine stood up and said, hey, I I would love to lead that. My wife and I would love to lead that ministry. And so it, uh, it began. And and they opened up their house, and oftentimes on Wednesday nights and even Sunday mornings before church, we would go to their house. We would have a, a period of activity or something fun. We would usually have a meal together, and then we would stop and open up God's Word and study together. And it was during that time, as I kind of grew up in the junior high years and high school years, into about my junior year of high school, where I felt like God was calling me to take on more of a leadership role in the youth group just being more of an example to the younger guys in the group. Now, that didn't exempt me from being a goofball, okay, as most teenage guys are. I oftentimes did stupid things without really thinking about the consequences. I remember one evening's particular. It was a Wednesday night, and Jeff, our leader, had asked me to read the passage of Scripture that we were going to study and talk about while sitting in his living room that night. And I looked at him and gave a huge sigh as if he had just pounded me with a huge assignment. And then without thinking, I turned to the guy sitting next to me and I said, hey, I have a great idea. I said, how about I read a word and then you read a word and then I'll read a word and we'll get through the whole passage. And we started doing that. People laughed, which was the goal. And we continued until the text was finished. When I was done and the laughing settled down, I looked up at Jeff and I saw something that I will never forget. There was disappointment in his face. There was disapproval. There was a look of letdown and maybe even a little heartache too, but you guys, the worst was he said nothing. And he didn't need to say anything. I remember sitting there and and that look was easily translated into my mind and my heart. And I was, I was just full of regret. I remember it just flooding into me. And immediately I had wished that I hadn't done that. I wanted a do-over. But yet even on top of this feeling, I immediately let my pride take over and I wasn't going to apologize in front of everybody else, and I just remained silent, but the shame and the guilt was overwhelming inside. And I had sat there just dwelling on what I had chosen to do. And the truth is, you guys, I made a mockery out of God's word. God's very words to me, I chose to make fun of them. I chose to let my testimony be something silly. And it didn't feel good. The suffering inside began. And as most veteran Christians know, suffering can sometimes bring something good. And it's, and it's always hard to go to. But if you learn something from it, 
you can count it as a win. And that situation did just that. My suffering at that moment was self-inflicted. I did it to myself. And I felt horrible about it, but... But it was at that moment that I realized that my faith had to be my own. It wasn't something that, that I did because my mom and dad brought me up and that it wasn't something that I continued because my mom and dad said it was good for me. You see, my faith had to be my own. I desired from that moment on to change my perspective and know the God that created me and the God that loved me and the God that cared for me in a personal way. And that slowly began. You guys, faith, I've heard people say, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I've made many mistakes since then. But I can honestly say that my faith journey has brought me to an understanding of a real God. And a real son of God, Jesus, who really died on the cross for me and who really took my sins from me. This morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles or your apps or whatever you might have, I I ask you to open them up and follow along. We're going to read a passage in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18, going to 36. Luke 9, 18 says this. While he was praying, Jesus, in a private Uh, in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah, very plainly. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Verse 28, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and, and overshadowed them. And they became afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent at that time and told no one what they had seen. You guys, there is so much in this passage to unpack. It's an incredible account of Jesus and the men that were with him day in and day out. I wish I was there. I imagine myself being there and seeing all of this. It would be incredible. And truthfully, in this passage, there's a lot to unpack. I think we could actually spend probably the next few months learning from this small passage and pulling it apart. Uh, But instead, we're going to spend two hours this morning going, I'm kidding you. We're not going to spend two hours. (laughs) I'll stick to the time this morning, but it's going to be hard. As I prepared for this passage, I I kept grabbing this and grabbing this and grabbing this, and it, it was overwhelming, so... So this morning, we're going to go through a type of biblical boot camp, if you will, okay? And this morning, I want to lead you through four different disciplines that I believe this passage is calling us to. Four different areas of our faith that should be challenged and and worked on in our lives constantly if we take our faith real. The first area is prayer. I want to point this out. Twice in this passage, we read that Jesus is praying or he went off to pray. First in verse 18, it says, while he was praying in private, his disciples were with him. Jesus was praying. And then again in verse 28 and 29, Luke, uh, Luke accounts in this passage, about eight days after the conversation, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Again, Jesus was praying. To whom? Obviously to God, his father. Jesus was an avid prayer. And that's not only, not the only time in scriptures that, that the authors record Jesus praying. In fact, in, in just the four gospels alone, it's accounted 25 times that Jesus took time to pray. Time away from people undistracted and properly postured in front of his father to talk. I think it's an incredible testimony to the importance of prayer. Jesus, the son of God himself, is praying to his father. God's very own son Jesus saw the importance of that. And if he saw the importance of that, don't you think we should too? A few chapters later in Luke 11, we'll see that Jesus has the opportunity to teach his disciples. They ask him to teach them how to pray. And I can only assume that they're asking him because they're watching him. They're seeing him do it all the time. And they're saying, man, We need to know how to do this too. So my question to us 
church, is this. How is your prayer life? How is our prayer life? Do you pray? That's a legitimate question. Do you pray? Do you pray often? When do you pray? For what do you pray? My fear, church, is that we as Christians have forgotten the true purpose of prayer. We know that it's something that's important to our faith. We know that it's something that we should do. We know that it's talking to God. But for many, it's a struggle to have a meaningful prayer life. And I'm talking about the people in the church. Sometimes prayer just becomes routine in our faith. We pray before meals because it's right to, and I'm not saying it isn't, but that's our routine. We pray before meals. We pray at bedtime, right? You should always say your prayers before bedtime. We pray at the end of our devotional time, if you have a devotional time, or maybe at the beginning of it. And especially, we, we use prayer when we're in dire need. When the worst of the world is coming down on us, when all of a sudden we don't know what to do, when there's pain or suffering or anguish or financial trouble or problems at work or problems in the family, all of a sudden we pray, God, fix it. Prayers become our band-aid. And we use it when we need it. Unfortunately, I think prayer is put in our pocket and we pull it out when we want help. Church prayer must become real to us. It's a conversation with God. What a privilege. What a privilege that he listens to you and you and you and you and me. It's a time to to meditate on who God is, a time to talk to him, uh, to adore him, to thank him, to, to make requests. You guys, prayer is an awesome privilege to talk to the creator of the earth who actually listens. Paul in the New Testament, one of my favorite, favorite people, often in his teaching encourages believers to pray. And he even mentions in some of his letters how he's praying for churches or praying for others. He is an avid prayer. We need to see prayer for what it really is. A talk with our Father. It's a conversation like you and I might have. And we need to get out of the habits of prayer that we've been programmed to. Because prayer is not something only done at a certain time. Meals, bedtimes, and not not that that's bad, but prayer should be done all the time. And the discipline that we need to have is to do it. Too often we're too busy or we fall asleep, or we forget. Church, 
When are we going to take it seriously? You can do it all the time. You can pray while you're walking, while you're talking. You don't have to sit down, close your eyes, and fold your hands to do it. The other thing I want to challenge you with in prayer is to realize what you're praying for. Because unfortunately, when we do have times of prayer, I feel like we're pretty selfish in what we need. Here's a simple thing that's been taught to me years ago, and maybe you've heard it. It's the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. And this will help you engage in a balanced time of prayer. A stands for adoration. In your prayer time, in your conversation with God, take time to adore who he is, to realize who God is, to realize all that he is. To see that he has power and grandeur and his holiness. You guys, take time to concentrate and and talk to him about that. C stands for confession. And I think this is a problem. We don't confess as we're called to do of our sins. When we sin, God says in his scripture, 1 John 1, verses 9 and 10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The truth is you and I sin daily. Do we take time to confess that to our Savior? Confession, C-T, stands for thanksgiving. Make an opportunity in your prayer time to thank God for all that he has given you. And trust me, when you are sincere in this and you're thinking through your days and your life, you will begin to realize just how blessed you are. Case in point, I'm sure all of you have taken a breath in the last few seconds. We can be thankful for that. And S stands for supplication. And supplication is asking for something. And this is what we are too good at doing. But I challenge you this. Call on God to ask for something that you need, not what you want. God knows what we need. And too often we pray for what we want. Let our needs Match what God desires for our life. And prayerfully consider that as you ask for that in your prayer time. Prayer has got to be real, church. And and eagerly, as you practice this and you get to know who you're talking to, it'll be so much easier to talk to him because he becomes more personal more intimate, and it's like a best friend that you can't wait to see every day. Another lesson in this passage I want to point out that we can can learn from is the ability to listen. How many of you, through your years, somebody told you, hey, God gave you two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you speak, right? It's good advice, and I probably need that. I'm a talker. And the discipline to listen is sometimes hard. 
But the listen I'm talking about is a listening to God. This is a very straightforward lesson taught by God himself. And we need to heed the wisdom that's actually in verse 35. It's after Peter sees Jesus in the company of Moses and Elijah, this grand moment. And Peter is taken back. And he's in awe of what's happening. And he, he, he sees his friend, this guy that he's been living with day in and day out, all of a sudden change. It's for Peter, all of a sudden he's, this is real. And he blurts out too quickly. It's, if, if you read this over and over again, you'll get, you'll get the idea of the moment where Peter doesn't know what to say. So he just says, oh, let's build some shelters in honor of you three. Why? What good is that going to do? I, you know, you just, I'm sure Peter said that and went, Very quickly, God rescues the situation and he envelops these disciples. And God says in his very voice, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. Did you hear that? Were you listening? God tells his disciples and he tells us to listen to Jesus. It's not a complex command. It's as plain as a nose on our face. God has ordered us to listen. When we put that into practical practice, the command leads us to a few practices that will encourage us to accomplish this task of listening. First, Read the word. Much of the New Testament gospels have the red words of Jesus, for example. And if you didn't know that, these words are colored red because they were spoken by Jesus. Reading these words and and scripture in, in its entirety and dwelling on them allows us to listen to God. What do they call this book? God's what? Words. Church, we must know the Bible in order to listen to the teachings of Jesus, the parables, the stories, and all the situations that are documented in there by the authors that God gave the wisdom to write things down. Those have to be known. The more you read, the more you understand who you're, you're listening to. And prayer is another way that we can listen. We should be doing that more often too. As I shared previously, prayer can, can happen at any moment of the day. And frankly, prayer should be happening at all hours of the day. And here's the deal. Through prayer, oftentimes we are tuned in to the voice of Jesus. He doesn't always, in fact, he hasn't done it for me, spoken out of thin air. But he speaks to our minds and our hearts and our feelings. Not too long ago, I was in a Walgreens over the Christmas holidays. I was there to just get some medicine for our family. And, and there was a man, a few people ahead of me in the checkout line at the register trying to buy some cough syrup. 
he was foreign, African, and he couldn't communicate really well. And, and that was one of the frustrations that the cashier was having. English just was hard for him. And, and the, other ha- the other issue was the debit card he had wasn't working. Well, the line began to get longer, so the clerk asked him to just step out of the way, and she put his things aside. And he went to his phone, I'm guessing, to try to call his credit card company. He was looking on the back of his card for a number. And you guys, it was at that moment, my heart began to beat a little harder. And a thought came to my mind so strongly and so loudly that I knew it was Jesus speaking to me plainly. And it simply just said, buy that for that man. I didn't question it. I knew who was talking in my head. And when it was my turn at the register, I paid for my items. And then I asked the woman to ring up the man's items. And I just paid for him in cash. And I just turned and I gave him the sack as he was standing over to the side. And I said, Merry Christmas. And I walked out the door. And as I was leaving the door, I heard, thank you. We have to have a mind and a heart that listens to God's voice. The more that we're in tune with him through prayer and reading his word, the easier it will be to recognize his voice, church. The easier it will be to listen. A third area that we could all work on is our belief. That's right, I said our belief. Ryan, I believe. Do you? In this passage, we know that Jesus had chosen 12 disciples to be kind of his inner circle guys. And these men walked with Jesus every day. They had conversations with Jesus. They saw the miracles. They ate with him. They rested with him. They listened to him as he taught them and those around They knew that Jesus was the son of God. But you guys, I wonder if they believed he was the son of God. It was undeniable that Jesus was wise and he was a good teacher. And his knowledge of the scriptures was better than anybody else that the disciples knew. But still, he could have been just a good teacher to them. I'm sure some of them had still questioned from time to time if he was truly the Messiah that had been promised to them for many of the years before. Because here's the deal. They were looking for someone to to come and overthrow the Roman rule that was just so hard for Christianity. That was their idea of the Savior. A great warrior. But in this account, we see that Jesus takes three disciples to go up the mountain and pray. And we read that as he prayed, the disciples fell asleep, but not Jesus. And as he continued to pray, the glory of the Father came upon him and he was changed. And this passage said the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And even more than that, two men appeared with him, Moses and Elijah. And when Peter woke up, From his words, you guys, we read that there was a general feeling from Peter that changed his perspective of Jesus. What he was seeing took him from knowing who Jesus was to believing 
who Jesus was. And at this moment in awe, he just blurted out something to acknowledge that these men were holy. And that included his friend Jesus. It was as if Peter, for the first time, realized that that all that Jesus had told him was actually true, that Jesus was the Son of God. That's, That's what we read here. And church, I fear that we are too much like Peter. You see, we've been brought up in the church, most of us, and and sometimes we've just, some of us have just been brought up in a culture to know who God is. We've been told what to do. We've been told that there is Jesus. We know his story, that he died on a cross to save us from our sins. He made a way for us to live in heaven for eternity. We know all that. It's been taught and shown in Christian culture for generations. And we continue to put Jesus in our pocket when we need him. It's it's as if we can't connect this with this. Our mind and our heart. And he stays in that pocket sometimes until we call on him to fix something. Do you have a personal real relationship with Jesus? Do you sincerely know who he is? Do you trust him? Do you know that he is real? Do you hear him speaking to you? Do you communicate with him like you do members of your family? Or is he just a character in a book that we dust off on Sunday mornings? Church, His desire is that he be real to us. We need to make a change in our mind. We need to know that he's with us all the time. Nothing is hidden from him. He loves you no matter what. And he can be depended on with everything that we need or are going through. I'm asking you to meet the real Jesus. And know him so well that you love him so much that you would be willing to go to the next thing that we're going to talk about. Suffer. The fourth thing I want to talk about is suffering. And I'm sure some of you in your mind are going, wait a minute, Ryan. I don't like that word. Suffering means pain. Suffering means something bad. I didn't sign up to be a Christian to suffer. I signed up to be a Christian so everything would be good, right? Prosperity gospel. Become a Christian and everything will go right. The truth is become a Christian because you're going to have to fight daily after that. Verses 21 through 26 says it so plainly. 21 through 26 says this. But he strictly warned and instructed them not to tell anyone, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Well, Ryan, that says Jesus has got to suffer, not me. I know he suffered, but I don't want to suffer. I mean, you're getting this all wrong. Let's continue on then. 
Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Sounds fun, huh? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and that loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. When he comes to his glory and then the Father and all the holy angels, I tell you truly, there are some standing here that will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You guys, suffering is plastered in that passage. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes to glory. Church, if we are going to be serious and real about our relationship with Christ, suffering must be an accepted part of our life. We need to be able to put aside the things of the life that we value for the sake of Jesus. To value an eternal perspective more than a current perspective. You see, God will call you to times of suffering. I can promise you that. It will be your decision at that time to follow the values of the world or forego them to suffer for Christ. At home, I'm currently reading a book that was published back in 1563 by a gentleman named John Day. And it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's an incredible historical count that actually has found such favor that many ministries over the years demanded that there be two books in their ministry, the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs. You see, John Day was a great theologian at that time, and like Martin Luther, began to see the Catholic Church and the practices as symbolic and lacking in teaching a personal relationship with Jesus, which he saw in the Scriptures. He knew that that God calls us to a personal decision and a following and that we should follow hard after Jesus. And they desired to know him personally. And he taught that to people who would listen. John, upon growing in his faith, realized that a great number of people had died for the name of Jesus. And it was his goal to gather all these stories and publish them in a complete work for all to read and to see. But his goal was twofold, to expose the false religions that were taught at the times, and second, to encourage people to be firm in their faith and be glad to suffer for Jesus. And since 1563, this book has been expanded to cover modern martyrs or people who have died for Jesus, people who have faced situations. And because of their faith, property was taken, money was taken, people were in prison, and some were either even tortured and put to death for what their faith in Christ. You guys, it's happening today. 
Just a few years ago, a gentleman I knew was murdered in Haiti for his belief in Christ. You think this is past? It's now. Are you and I willing to suffer? Do we value Jesus that much? So much that nothing in this world would matter. To maintain the testimony of Jesus Christ through your suffering. You guys, this book accounts so many in the past, in ancient times and older times, where they were burned at the stake. And as they were being burned, they sang hymns to Jesus. Is your faith that strong? Is my faith that strong? Where we would look at those persecuting us and say, no, I will not deny what I know. Take me to the stake. And even while you're dying, praying for those who persecute you and hoping that somebody sees what's happening and makes a name, a decision for Jesus. Is your faith that real? I'm ashamed to say mine probably at this moment is not. I don't know. You guys, Jesus is calling us to something bigger in this world, something that we don't have all the answers to, but he does. And if we just follow and continue to pursue him, he will continue to be with us through it all. And this morning... I want to encourage us to learn from this passage and be real in our faith. And if any of these topics have convicted you, praise God. Let's conduct a life of real prayer. Let's learn to truly listen to Jesus Believe what he teaches and actually do what he asks. Believe in him deeper than you ever have before. And with all that, embrace a life of suffering. Be willing to go through whatever may come for the sake of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. And it will be eternally worth it. I, I know that. I promise you that. <laughs> the scriptures are very clear on that. Let's go. So church, this is our day. As you leave today, I pray it would be different. Let's pray. God, your word is true and sometimes hard.